The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodhi. Joining me today for the first Stock Take of 2021, our analyst James Carlyle. Hey, James. Good morning. And all the way from Melbourne is analyst Mickey Morda. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Gaurav. Hey, James. Is it too late to say Happy New Year, fellas? It's what, early February now, I think? No, no, we, we can say happy, happy New Year to all the members. We can. We better do yeah, that. Someone better do it. Happy New Year, member. <laughs> I'm just surprised we actually made it back onto the podcast because last year, at the end of last year, you said you were going to get all these fancy guests on and no, I've been working um, on people are going to be really disappointed when they hear, hear, hear we're, we're back on it. But Yeah, I've been working on it. There's a, I've got a few interesting guests in mind, actually. The, the tricky part is coordinating times because um, we no longer have a recording studio anymore. It's uh, all over Skype and we've got special equipment and they don't. And um, yeah. So until then, we're just until stuck. Then. Yeah. Well, there's still plans afoot. Speaking of plans, Mickey, you came down to Sydney for a little while and uh, and disappeared again. What's well, how'd you find it? What's going on in, in uh, uh no, it was good. No, it came came up for the uh, development session. Um, when we had spent a bit of time, um, in the lovely uh, in the lovely of... orange zones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> managed, was... managed to avoid avoid the reds. Yeah, it was um, it was a, it was actually quite stressful traveling interstate, uh, especially from Victoria, uh, yeah. because you just um, you're never sure if the, if things are going to change, and uh, you know, just making sure that you're, uh, like you know, you've got to actually look at the map and 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 figure out if you're in an orange or a red zone, um, and it's almost not worth it. Like I wouldn't do it again. Um, it just was too. Oh, it was good to see that, Mickey. <laughs> so, well, I mean, not until things come again, normalized. Uh, a little it was bit. an awesome day, though. That that day we had, uh, yes, yeah, so we had a development day with uh, Greg Hoffman and uh, and all the Sydney-based analysts, and it was uh, it was marvelous. It was terrific. The the virtual reality was um, pretty. <laughs> we, great. we found an excuse to to visit a, a virtual reality <laughs> game center and played around in zombie <laughs> yeah, just to see how the old VR is coming along. Yeah, That's yeah, really, how, yeah. How, how VR is coming along. Yeah, that was good. That was good fun. Yeah. We should write. We should write something about that. Oh, we should do it again. Actually, we should do it again first, and then maybe after that, write something. In our, <laughs> no, yeah, that was great know, fun. Yeah. I, I won that as well. I was that was the best part. You of did it. not. I got the. You no, you had the correct. highest kill ratio, but I had the most kills. Oh. And that, that's really the point, because when you're being attacked by zombies and you've got unlimited ammo, it's not your your kill ratio that you're worrying about. And how many Seriously. zombies have you been attacked by, James? I think I've got more on your you. <laughs> I've got uh, I've got kindy yeah. age kids. It was new. It was new. A new one for me. That's for sure. It was amazing technology. There's a listed company actually. It's called. Um, IDZ, I can't remember. Indoor skydive, I think. Is it still called indoor skydiving? Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe it changed. It, it's just well, uh, that looked amazing as well, didn't it? We didn't do the indoor skydiving, but that oh yeah, amazing. so it's indoor skydive yeah. Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a bit. I think it's like a five million dollar business at this stage. So after at twenty bags, we can probably start looking at it um, for an investment. <laughs> um, um, now speaking of bags, James, you've been looking at the travel sector. And um, we've been. That's talk- a fantastic segue. <laughs> That's a pretty good. Segue. <laughs> carry on, carry on. I know um, the break probably does some good, eh? <laughs> I like what you've been thinking about. Actually, 
I think one of the hardest things is making making a tough decision and buying the travel stocks really at the height of the panic was a tough decision. We got in probably before everyone else thought of getting in and where people were still panicking about the industry. But then to suddenly turn around and come to a different view, I like the psychological flexibility. James, tell us why exactly you're looking at travel stocks with through a different eye. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? The interplay between probabilities and events, and and you could say that, you know, now now that we've chosen to to say to, to say to get out, um, maybe it was wrong to get in in the first place. But mm. I think everything looked very different back then. It was certainly there was a lot of uncertainty for how how the world looked. This is we're not talking about sort of last um, March. In for Webjet, and I think more like June for Flight Center. Um, and things look very uncertain for the next six or 12 months. But then it, it seemed at the time we were being told that the coronavirus was much more stable than flu. Mm. Um, and I think that was a main factor so that you could actually imagine, um, you know, the thing playing out with vir- vaccines appearing. Um, and then during 2021, just gradually getting back to normal. Um, and that's how things looked really until December last year. And all of a sudden, we started getting these variants. And <clears throat> the thing that the variants have done, have uh, places that look like they might have a decent amount of herd immunity, and might actually be sort of getting through the other side of the pandemic. Places like London and Manaus in Brazil, particularly, um, suddenly had these huge surges. And it still isn't really clear why, although it is thought or known, I'm not quite sure, um, that, uh, that they've been you know, hit by different, slightly new types of the virus, slightly little variants. Um, and, you know, Manaus, I think, I think they did serolo- serological testing to show that over 50% of the population there had antibodies. Mm-hmm. And antibodies um, don't necessarily last. And you can get um, the T-cell immunity, even if you don't get antibodies, I think, and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's likely to undercount the number of people who've had it. So in Manaus, perhaps 60-odd or 70% of people had it. And then you've got this huge surge going on uh, now, and and that's in the middle of summer uh, um, in a jungle. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so things I think have changed. Now it may be that we're jumping at shadows. I hope we are, um, but it creates a level of uncertainty, which mm. I think that once you know we made good gains out of that uh, bet, um, for better or worse. And I think sometimes you know rather than sort of sitting on the sidelines and thinking, well, um, I wonder how this is going to go, and you can think about that for a while. Um, the the time to act, I think, is is uh, you know is is early in these sorts of situations where where you know there's been a change, mm. we're uncomfortable, so let let let's um, let's hit the sell button and and we can then watch. I, I just think it's very hard now to see how, I mean, AstraZeneca are now talking about getting 
They, they say they're going to have a new version of the vaccine ready by the Northern Hemisphere autumn. So what's that sort of September-ish? Um, I think there's a chance. So we're all going to get vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. I think there's a chance we'll need to all get vaccinated by the new vaccine, vaccine before we actually even open the borders. And so, because people are going to be worried about variants coming in. Now, I think that the what they reckon is that the existing vaccines um, have some efficacy, but reduced efficacy against these variants. That's the, the thinking at the moment. So, you know, you really, uh, given our tolerance for COVID in this country, I think we're going to want to have that second vaccine. So it sort of makes you wonder, doesn't it? We're going to, th th this first vaccine's almost redundant. Yeah, well, so it'll be it'll be very important to vaccinate the qu quarantine workers. Having said that, but with the borders still closed and the quarantine workers effectively uh, mm. vaccinated, hopefully we'll be we'll be safe through winter. But anyway, the, it creates this level of uncertainty, which um, I'm just so it sounds like there are there are two things you're pointing to, James. One is the is a change in the virulence of the the virus and questions about the vaccine. And, and that probably, as you say, um, raises questions about when international borders can reopen. But the second one, um, I think you've touched on a bit, but um, maybe we can expand on that a little bit now, is is the change in the valuation in some of these businesses. Remember, they've raised a whole lot of capital. The share counts are much larger than they were pre-pandemic. So the market caps of Webjet and Flight Center aren't too off from where they were pre-pandemic and yet the external environment has completely changed no that's right i think you have to be slightly careful with that sort of calculation though because you've got to remember that they did also raise hundreds of millions of dollars of of cash at the same mm. time so that that has to come into the equation i mean so they're it, holding lots of cash to offset um, the market well they, they yeah, yeah so when they i mean i suppose the way to look at that they had to to bring in lots of cash in order to offset their negative working capital situation um, as that un unwound. But I suppose the way to th look at that is that when the when that starts to wind up again, um, th these things should spew out a lot of cash. Um, mm. So, you know, all, I, all I'm saying is that you can't just, it's not, you can't just divide the share price by, you know, half um, or, or whatever because they raised twice as many shares. Mm. Um, you know, they did get the cash that came with that, albeit at low levels. Um, discounted levels, but um, so the point is that the valuation is is it all looks a bit different now. The way I looked at it, the article I wrote recently, I mean, I just say for sake of argument, if they got back to the same level of profits um, as they were at in 2019 with the new share count, I think that puts Webjet on a P of almost 20, and Flight Center was on 12. But Flight Center remembers. Um, close half its retail outlets yeah. so it's going to be a big thing for it to get back to its pre yeah um that's not going to hammer for some time um, and, and what about some of the other travel stocks so we've talked about webjet and flight center and your article directly um spoke to those two specifically but there are a whole other parts of the travel industry um of various quality we've always spoken about um sydney airports and, and auckland international airports as being maybe the Higher, highest quality exposure to travel. Is your advice the same for those companies too? No, I, I think the thing is that different businesses mothball uh, better than others, as it were. Um, so while Webjet and Flight Center are mothballed, the, the, the prospects for them 
you know the 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 actual businesses begin to decline you know they begin you know you you can't have them closed for too long i think before i don't know it's it's um they they've reduced the number you know they've reduced headcount they've you know that's all of these things has got to have an effect on on the culture the all these things within the companies it's hard to see exactly how they come out of all this um and the longer it goes the worse it is mm. um that was a risk we were prepared to take when when it you know looked like it wasn't going to be too long and they're still consuming um, lots of cash aren't they yeah they, well, um yeah that's right yeah so they have a cash burn and 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 they run out of cash sooner than sydney airport and, and auckland airport so auckland airport and sydney airport are, um they they mothball much better i mean they are their airports and you 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 shut them and you know that the main value of those businesses is in the asset and that asset will still be there um you know they need to do a degree of maintenance and you know in fact it's possibly a good opportunity to do a few little bits and bobs um and they they have the cash to go um i think at least until 2023 um before they need more money but they raised it so easily as well this time mm. uh, around i think if we get to 2023 20, mm. and they need a, a little bit more uh, i think they'd find it quite easy to get it do you have Whereas, some idea about yeah do you have some idea about what the situation for potential cap raisings are for webjet and flight center well it's complicated because <laughs> it all depends on on how much revenue they're making um, it's very that so how long you think they can go depends. It's very sensitive to that. So I think without um, without if you assume they're making no re- revenue, then I think they start to run out towards the end of this year. But they will be making some revenue, um, particularly uh, you know in intra border. A lot of business travel is is within intra regional um, or intra mm. uh, you know within one country. Mm. Um, <coughs> Um, and a lot of that will continue. So they will, um, they will be making revenue, um, perhaps quite a bit. Uh, it's it's really the international borders that I'm worried about. I suppose the state borders also in Australia. If if a, variant, a new variant gets in, you can imagine state borders being closed. Yeah, that's something we probably um, didn't anticipate early on that that state borders would be shut as well. Yeah, I, I that's right. Didn't think that would yeah, happen. yeah, no, that's right. And um, and that's and that's made a mess of the summer for flights under and and webjet um uh so so james you i know you bought webjet and i think flight center from memory certainly sydney airports um what have you done with your personal holdings keeping in mind that every investor is different and what you do might not be suitable for someone else well uh so sydney airport i saw um pretty early on actually after they got they got um above six dollars soon after you know they bounced pretty quickly um and i decided that because i'd bought them before the lockdown mm. um and uh so the lockdown having taken place um and the share price being a good bit higher i decided to take the profit in that um uh, last year i had some losses i could use up from uh kangaroo plantation so there you go Ooh, let's not talk about um, that one. <laughs> let's, no, no, let's, let's move right on from there um that was the fire <laughs> Jeez, if it's not one thing it's another (laughs) so anyway but um but flight center and webjet uh i've so i've sold those i sold those um uh, on wednesday in fact so we published the article friday and so obviously the way we work things is that we give members a chance to sell first um Mm. and uh with both those stocks um i uh i actually 
will have to pay it. So I don't, I won't qualify for the capital gains discount, which is unusual mm. for me. I normally hold on to everything for a year mm. if I don't have the loss, because um, you know I've used up that loss now. So, um, so I took the, I'll have to pay the extra capital gains, which is, which is. Um, yeah, just um, look. I don't know what that says, but uh, I just <laughs> I, desperate I, I, to I get out. Well, well, look, I'm 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 sufficiently uncomfortable holding them. I suppose yeah. is, is you know sometimes you just reckon you take that on the chin. Mickey, um, what have you done in your in your portfolio? Did you hold any of these travel stocks? No, I I I, I never bought any. Um, I was too scared. Oh, you you were too busy buying casino stocks in Vietnam <laughs> and Cambodia. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I think. Well, I mean, I guess there was a couple of different ways that you could play it during the, during the meltdown. Um, you could go the really pointy stuff, mm. uh, you know, and or or you could kind of go stuff that you thought, um, was going to be fine no matter what. And I guess, um, yeah, it was kind of the approach I took was generally just to have a bit in each basket. Um, mm. I think, and so just kind of buy in that in that way because you didn't really know how things were going to pan out. Um, so, but it turned out, uh, that, um, yeah, that, that did, I didn't have a particular view on travel either. Like I thought, I thought people would travel again, but I didn't know when. And so I just wasn't as close mm. to it as JC and there was just lots of other opportunities. So I just never, never bought. What about you? Yeah. I bought, uh, Auckland International Airport, uh, a big chunk of it. I've been eyeing off that stock for years actually. And so I jumped at the chance to buy it and I expected when I bought it, I was really happy. And I thought I'd hold that for years and years. And I actually just recently sold it following um, JC's um, article and mostly for the for the same reasons. Also, I just think there are lots of other opportunities available and I, I just needed some cash to fund some of those. I figure Auckland is a brilliant asset. I love the business. I love the opportunity set still, but is it going to double or triple in the next few years? Probably not. And... I think there are a couple of opportunities. Well, in that case, <laughs> if it's not going to double or triple. Well, I, don't, I don't get out of bed. Whatever happened to a nice 10%, a nice solid 10% a year? <laughs> no, no, no I, I'm joking. I'm being facetious. But look, you, you've got to measure the upside against the in downside. In 20 years' time, and, in yeah. 20, if, if I were um, you know, sort of retired and, and living on a pension, I think my investment style would be different. But given our ages and, and, and all of that, I, I just think it, I'd rather probably lean into risk at this stage. Yeah, so no, no exposure to travel for me. I think our funds, uh, I can't remember now. It's been a while since I've looked at the whole things, but I think we still got a bit in Sydney Airport, right? Yeah, um, oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, James, we, we have a, an official sell now on Webjet and Flight Center. I think that's that's a very quick turnaround for us from buy to sell, I think, within the space of a year. It uh, doesn't happen oh, well, too often. It sometimes happens, but um, sometimes, it's annoying yeah. when it does because of the CGT. But, um, mm. you know, I think you've got to, you, you know, you just got to play the situation. As you see it, the, it's got a lot murkier. And I think I'd rather it was, you know, I'd rather buy back into these stocks when things are a bit clearer. I mean, they'll be a bit, a bit more expensive, but we can, mm. you know, you don't have to hold a particular stock. So... Do you think they're as good now as um, as you thought before the pandemic? Because uh, you held them before the pandemic, didn't you? Or no, no. Oh, no, you no, did. No, okay, no. right. But do you think do you think they're as good now? Um, 
you know do i think do i think travel will, fundamentally in five years time do i think travel will be the same as it was before the pandemic oh, not, not travel necessarily well i mean but the businesses themselves because i'm just you know if this yeah, is I think, how we're going to react i think i think i think the I think both businesses are very strong. With Flight Centre, I should be clear that I mean by that the corporate travel business. Um, and with Webjet, I'm really thinking of the bed bank. Um, but I think those businesses are very strong. And I think that in five years' time, I think that um, those businesses, I hope, will be well positioned. But if it takes, you know, two, two or three more years from now with sort of outbreaks coming and going and, you know, and then people scrambling out new vaccines and uh, borders being open and closed. And if, you know, they, they could emerge in two or three years' time in a bit of a battered and bruised shape, they may have had to raise more capital as well. So there's just those risks. But I think that ultimately, um, I think the businesses, they, they, they were attractive going into the pandemic, and I hope that they'll be similar um, when they come out. Um, but we'll have to have a look at the valuation at that point. Right. Let's, yeah. let's leave the travel stocks there because we've got a really complicated new business to unpack, Mickey. And that leads us to eRoads. Now, this is a company I had a quick look at um, late last year and I was pretty bamboozled by it, actually. I thought, this looks like a pretty complicated company. Better get Mickey on this one. What did you discover when you had a, a look through eRoads? Tell us about the, well, the business, um, how it works, and um, give us an opinion. Well, I think I was looking at it um, pretty pretty early, um, but I just had a couple of other things. How did it get on? on? How did it get on your radar? Uh, just uh, a friend of mine uh, said, "Get onto it early." Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was just the genesis of all great ideas. Pretty much. <laughs> I just yeah. heard it from some guy. <laughs> Oh no, friend, friend from a fund manager. Um, okay. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I, um, uh, I put it on my watch list. Um, but I just, uh, yeah, it's just other priorities. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it's um, uh, an interesting business. It does take a little while to unpack it, uh, because it's a little bit hard to actually understand what it does and what the software does. And so the backstory here is basically this is a company founded by a fella called Stephen Newman. And so Stephen uh, was a founder of Navman, who most people probably know is like oh, the, that's interesting. You know, right. Yeah, the little um, GPS things in your car. Yeah. Uh, and um, so he that would have he been found... one of the first GPS um, pieces of hardware, right? Yeah, I mean, so oh, I don't know exactly when he found okay. the business, but carry on. Um, yes, on onto it early uh, was was he, and uh, so yeah, so he he started that business, then he sold that, and then, uh, but he was living in New Zealand, and in New Zealand they have uh, what's what are known as road user charges, and so basically when you've got a road, there's a lot of infrastructure, they get damaged, you have to paint the lines, you have to you know fill in the cracks, the potholes, and you know build new stuff as the population is is growing, so it's really really expensive. Uh, and the way that they typically do it is um, a fuel tax and they or, or vehicle registration. That's pretty much the dominant models globally. Um, pretty much not because they're the best models, but because they're just the easiest to administer. Uh, and you can add a really cheap, um, sorry, not cheap, um, really simple 
uh, per liter, you know, tax to the fuel or, you know, and that's a decent um, proxy for, you know, how much you're traveling on the roads. Mm. And, uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not ideal. Uh, like kind of the holy grail would be something that takes into account, you know, the actual um, vehicle type, um, you know, how heavy it is, what, what it's carrying, uh, you know, um, and, and, and actually, you know, tracks the, um, the mileage of that of that vehicle on uh, on on the state's roads, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but actually having one of those systems is really really hard to make um, because you need to be able to track the vehicle all the time, and you need to know everything about that vehicle. So it's kind it was kind of like um, uh, pretty pretty difficult to actually implement. Um, so New Zealand was one of the the weird countries that actually implemented it anyway. Uh, and, and they, so they, they did it, even though it was just a massive headache to administer all this stuff. Hang on. So New Zealand Uh, has a system where every car has to pay like a usage based road toll permanently. Yeah. So not, not every car, but trucks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So larger vehicles, um, smaller vehicles is predominantly still, um, but initially it was all manual, right? So they had to fill in forms. They had to say, right, I was carrying, you know, a ton and I went 100 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so you buy these licenses. And then so with the licenses, it says, so this is what the hubadometer says at the start. And this is what you can use it till. So, uh, sorry, what, so the hubadometer <laughs> is what a, a great word. Well, that, is. I, um, that goes, sits on your, that, that, does that measure the weight of the truck? The hubadometer is um, measure. It just measures the distance traveled. Oh, it's just, so oh, it's just, it's just, like you know one of those wheelie things that you clicks when you move it, and and if you want to measure like a distance. Yeah, yeah. So it's just the distance. Yeah. So, but but it's just the 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 weight that I'm curious about because that's the thing that yeah. you have that you have some trouble measuring. I mean, well, obviously they might you, they may have different classes of um, license. So, for example, if you're a massive semi-trailer or all start of, you know look right, I mean, right, right right i don't want to get into the parlance because of my trucking background um <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's uh it's it's not the best but um it's only minor yeah look i mean you know um so uh yeah so the the, the so this is how it was done and obviously mm. that was very difficult uh if you ran out of a license while you're in the middle of the countryside um you know, technically you weren't allowed to drive, so you had to get something posted out and it's quite difficult. You don't know where you're going to be when you're going to stay. So. <laughs> Do they, you have, have to literally have a physical license in your windshield. Um, oh, so wow. so this is kind of what companies were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then so Stephen, you know, saw this, saw the opportunity, saw that, you know, he's from Navman, he's got that navigational background and then, um, you know, he's also in New Zealand, so just perfectly placed. Um, and then just comes along with the solution, just a physical tracker that goes into the truck, uploads the data into the cloud, um, and then, uh, you know, it automatically processes new licenses, collects the distance traveled, the type of vehicle. Um, and and, and forget, forgive me for sounding obsessive about this, but does it, does it, does it track their weight as well? <laughs> <laughs> 
do sound obsessive about it. Well, well that's the uh, that's the key component. That's the the, yeah, no, the hardest thing, isn't it? I get it. Yeah. I think because you know when you drive along the highway here, you that you see those things off the side of the road, which all the trucks. It's fantastic, isn't it? When you're behind a truck and it just pulls off into one of these things, mm. um, and it, that's what happens there, isn't it? They get weighed, mm, that's and right. uh, and and so that's the the sort of missing ingredient, isn't it? Maybe. I, um, well, I mean, I think the. Uh, they don't actually weigh the vehicles um, like on scales or anything. I think they have different classes of vehicles. Um, And so they're basically, you know, I don't know the exact um, class specifications, but, you know, based on if you're, if you're a really, really, really big truck, you're a class A. And if you're just, you know, a bigger, big truck, then you're a class B. But the, but the gizmo that they put onto a vehicle so that measures. would have that data, it, like so the the the, the uploads what data? Like, yeah, and the device is tamper-proof, so it's made specifically for that vehicle. Right, and, and it so just but it just logs distance traveled, distance traveled, and well, I mean, so that's how the product started. That was the basic thing. Now it does a whole bunch of other stuff. So it, like, you know, it um, it will tell you when you've been driving too long. It will look at. It will tell you. Like, for example, when you get into a truck, you don't just turn it on and get started. You've got to do lots of checks around um, the truck, you know, before you get started. Make sure everything is, uh, you know, uh, functioning correctly. So, you know, it walks you through that process as well. And um, so there's lots of, they've added lots of features to this software over time. It's, it's, um, but we're kind of, kind of um, jumping ahead in the story. But I think, it, like, <laughs> it's a long story. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's pretty much how they got their start. Um, they rolled that out in New Zealand. Uh, very, very successful there for obvious reasons. The main thing that they were doing was, if you're like a logging company or a mining company, you're doing a lot of off-road use. So it's not really fair that you're paying the tax. So they could provide, um, you know, rebates for those companies, and so Ooh. they might be paying, you know, seventy, hundred thousand in in taxes each year, and they're getting a huge refund. So it's a massive return on investment for those companies. Um, so very, very dominant in New Zealand, tried to roll it out in the US, wasn't as successful. So then they had to kind of develop a new product, um, which was an ELD. And the ELD has, um, you know, electronic logging device, basically, um, for, for all truckers is mandated now in the US from 2017. Uh, and this and this is basically where they started pivoting into a more kind of holistic software suite, you know, for fleet management, asset tracking. So that's making sure you know where all of your different assets are. If you've got a little um, bulldozer or something and you want to make sure it doesn't go missing or you've got containers. So they do asset tracking. They do. Um, so now it's like a full fleet management software suite, basically. Yeah, right. And do they, do they roll that fleet management out into New Zealand or is it still the basic product in New Zealand? No, they've got yeah. So they've got so now they've got it um got it everywhere. I mean they've got fourteen different products. So the thing is, each each product kind of needs to be tailored to yeah. that market because it's got um, unique you know compliance and tolling requirements, and so mm-hmm. it has to be modified. But I guess the basic um the be- the basic bones of it, you know, vehicle recording, um, checking the health of the vehicle, checking on the you know the driver safety. Uh, collecting road funding, even data analytics and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, so that that's kind of the bare bones, and I guess that they can they can um, modify it to suit that specific market, basically. Okay, and what's the revenue model, Mickey? How do these guys actually earn? 
Well, so there's a there's a physical um, hub that's placed into the into the um, cabin, and that gets some hardware rental fees. And then there's a SaaS model as well. So um, you know to actually access that data and um, see what your truckies are doing, and from head office, then you you need access to the SaaS platform. Um, so they get SaaS revenues as well. Um, and then every time that they process a payment for a new license, they're collecting license. Uh, renewal fees as well so there's like just lots of nice recurring revenue and um it's uh it's a pretty pretty um pretty high retention business as well you can imagine once you get one yeah. of these placed in a inside your in fleet a truck. Yeah. yeah 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 so i mean you don't really want to change your whole fleet over so right. um i mean it's more you know if you're downsizing your fleet they might lose some customers and mm. stuff but it's not that common um and so how, how do they, what's the um, new customer acquisition like? Um, can you talk to us about acquisition growth and do you have any details about acquisition costs? Yeah, so um, they don't, well, they don't really break out the exact acquisition costs, yeah. but it is, a, it is a kind of expensive model. Um, so I guess, so this is a product that costs kind of probably about double like what zero would um, for an accountant. Um, or a, or a business owner. As a monthly sorry, a business, subscription. Yeah, sorry, as, a, as a monthly subscription. But I would say that their acquisition costs are far higher because you can't just buy, you know, the software online and mm. go, we're going to put this in our trucks. They actually have to come and there's a, there's a, there's a long sales process involved in actually how many trucks you have actually, um, you know, observing those trucks and making sure that the, um, you know, the physical infrastructure is appropriate for those mm. trucks as well. Mm. Um, and so the sales, pro and also obviously all the um, extra development that needs to, to kind of go into like rolling it out to a new market and stuff like that. So um, this like, that, and, and so I guess so if you're comparing this to something like zero, uh, you know, you would, you would expect that it trades on a much lower multiple, which it does. Um like in terms of sales, so uh, growing really quickly in New Zealand um, uh, still, uh, and uh, I think that looks likely to continue uh, because they've just, you know, gotten a really good dominant position in that market. They're well known. They're the market leader uh, by a long, long margin, and um, they're still further to roll that roll that solution out um, as people increasingly move to electronic charging. Um, They've had less success in the US and I think, uh, but I mean, so they introduced that ELD that um, produced like a very rapid spurt in in growth. Um, however, the most recent quarterly was um, very, looked pretty disappointing to me. Um, and there, there wasn't, there wasn't, uh, the, the actual business contracted there. They said that that was because of COVID. Um, but I'm always a little bit mm. wary. I feel like, um, that could be well true, and I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be, um, you know, giving you the full picture. But I just, I just feel like that that could be the case, or it could also just be that there was a big growth spurt. So it's just hard to untangle, yep. kind of exactly what's going and on are there. Are they making? Are they actually generating profits in New Zealand, and then they're just plowing those in, into America, and that's why it looks like it's making losses, or they're not yet profitable in New Zealand either. No, well, so it depends how you define profit. I mean, um, like you know, with these with these kinds of businesses, they're they're kind of, you know, they capitalize a lot of stuff. And so, if you're talking about EBITDA, uh, then they're EBITDA profitable. Um, if you're talking about cash flow, not really. 
Uh, and I think it's, it's it can be hard to actually separate out the segments because you've got this big corporate, um, you know, uh, overlay, and it's you know a, you know kind of that's that's also like a cost center for the business. And so how do you how do you break up those costs? There's a lot of management discretion, and I, I guess yep. you know defining those profits. So, but I think I think it it will be profitable if it's not profitable yet, and it will be nicely profitable. Um, so probably in not too distant future. Uh, so I, you know, I think, I think the key with this is if you could get it, um, you know, close to that New Zealand value, then that would be a nice, um, entry point. But my concern when I first looked at this was that they're extremely dominant in New Zealand and yet they're not profitable in New Zealand. I didn't do enough digging to, to look at the reasons for that, but is that something to worry about? Because for me, New Zealand should be a test case for what success looks like. And I don't mind them funding international operations with New Zealand, but if they can't make a buck in New Zealand where they're already dominant, then maybe the model isn't that good. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I think um, like it's, it's, it's always the case with these companies that it's, you can make as much profit as you want in a way. Like if you just, if they just fired everybody um, and then just put it on, you know, um, you know, kind of just bare bone, like stripped everything back in terms of research and development. I think they could be, you know, very profitable. But um, yeah, so I guess they just they just keep investing, you know, into the into the into the platform. So I think if you look at the unit economics, it looks like they will be profitable, um, and uh, they already are on a on a. Um, they, that, I, think, I think that's misleading though, because marginal economics or unit economics for any software maker always look amazing and yet lots of software businesses do not succeed so um you know i I see this a lot from management of software companies they always say forget about the aggregate look at the unit economics but of course unit economics and software look good that's that's kind of par for course that's nothing revolutionary about that yeah well, I mean, but if you can, if you can kind of establish the reason why they're going to remain dominant, um, hmm. then then I think that's a little bit different. Like, you know, if someone's saying we've got great unit economics, but those unit economics are going to deteriorate, well, then that's a different story. But if you can see reasons why those unit economics should should continue or even improve, um, as like, you know, they become. Um, you know, relevant. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's so much that the unit economics don't matter. I think it's just whether they're sustainable or not. Um, okay. I think for like E-Road in New Zealand. It just looks a bit um, too fiddly to me. You know, it just, um, just the it is complicated. You know, having it is to develop new products for different markets and when they change, reg- governments will change regulations on a whim, I would think, on that sort of thing. And that's just a lot of investment. It's not like a, a, a zero where you just make a nice core accounting. Yeah. It reminds me a bit more of um, a, G- a GPST rather than a rather than yeah zero. i was you thinking actually really just large... sorry go on yeah you've got these really large upfront um acquisition and installation costs but once you actually capture the customer they should be with you for a long time and then you grow and with that customer as their fleet expands i suppose which is which is quite nice but yeah but is, you've got to still tweak things not as if nice the government changes the regulations and it just just presumably you can charge seems... for that, though. that that should be yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it makes it makes it hard to replicate as well. Yeah. I mean, as you as you kind of um, you know build up this expertise and you you know you um, specialize in it. I mean, just just uh, 
and and you've got to work really closely with the regulators and the customers to yeah. actually get this this software right. And I think so, that's right. yeah, um, they've shot to being quite dominant, dominant and irreplaceable. I, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think it's a good business. Um, I, I you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a difficult business, but I mean, it's well run, mm. uh, and um, you know, clearly, clearly well managed. So how much yeah, uh, ownership is there in this one? Uh, so Stephen Newman, I think, owns fifteen percent. It's about sixty million dollars. Um, so it's a fair, fair chunk of change. Um, but the uh, yeah, I guess I mean, the thing with the US as well as I mentioned this in the articles, there's a lot of com- competition there too. And mm. so, Omnitrax and Garmin, you know, these are um, some really big companies over in the US with bigger market shares. And so, uh, I do think that this is a it has attractive features, and especially as cars, you know more electric you know road user charges could become more commonplace but i think that's the narrative that's got a lot of people quite excited with this one um but yeah it's going to be it's going to be a tough a tough business and there's going to have to be a lot of good execution i think to 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 really um to bring the big the big prize home <laughs> excellent one truck one talk, one, one to watch i think <laughs> no, you, you've done really well to unpack that it, it is a complicated yeah. business and um, i think it's probably one you'll be watching in the future right yeah yeah for sure um keeping keeping an eye on it and um yeah want to see want to see how they um respond to the pandemic gents before we finish off the first podcast i just wanted to give a quick update on the contrarian resources portfolio that we put together late last year. Um, This thing has has flown. And uh, part of that is good luck in that we managed to pick these things at, uh, I think, at the bottom, if not not at the very bottom, then very close to the bottom. And they've just risen cyclically. So there's a little bit of luck there. But it points to a, a larger theme that we've brought up time and time again when we've made money from these resources companies is that a lot of value investors just automatically rule out resources saying they're commodities, we don't want to buy them. I think it, I think that's a mistake. Um, and there is a way to make good returns, consistently good returns, as we have out of resources. And it just requires a little tweak of the mindset. And we've just got to look at these as cyclical businesses, not as um, hold them forever stocks. Um, and we can't, use the same metrics. I mean, there's no point looking at the ROE for resources business or the PEI. You've got to throw those tools away. And you just got to look at new tools. Um, you know, um, um, over the cycle, return on assets, um, cash flow minus CapEx, um, even cash flow yields can be useful for specific projects. These things, uh, return on invested capital, these things are important, um, more important for resources companies than they are for other stocks. And I, I just wanted to highlight there is actually a way to invest in mining and make money. And I think we've shown that that's possible over time. And it's a shame that my, my guess is that many people don't buy resources companies. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to highlight some of the returns that are, are possible. I mean, all these, all the, this, these, this contrarian portfolio, all of them have gone up um, nicely. Whitehaven Coal, which um, was controversially included into well, that I don't want to take too much credit, but I think that was my idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All bowed to Mickey. Um, Definitely wasn't mine. No, no, I, no. Copped, a, copped a lot of heat in the um, in the dragons. Yeah, in the dragons. I think I just that. quietly put a bar on it without anyone really um, 
Uh, <laughs> just no one wanted to fight anymore, so just by, by fatigue and default, it got through. Um, but that's that was up about eighty percent um, last time I looked at it. This is only a matter of you know two months or so. Um, look, the, the reason for this is not to gloat, well, at least not to gloat much. It's really just to highlight that there is a way of making money in mining. It takes a, a different mindset and different set of tools than we use for traditional investing. Um, but I would just encourage people with risk tolerant portfolios to have a look at mining stocks, um, you know, when, when they come up, because uh, I genuinely think it's a source of opportunity. So many investors just automatically rule it out. And that means that the contest you're often having is uh, you, an intelligent investor versus some silly, spivvy, no, no nothing speculative <laughs> retail investor who knows, you know, who's in there because they heard it from some mate Mickey. <laughs> uh, you know, the contest is not always with an informed, intelligent investor. It's all—it's usually with some some know nothing person. So I, I just like the odds. I think it's it's easier, sometimes easier to make money in resources than you might imagine. So um, easy money—you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, who do you want to be on the opposite end of a trade with? You know, like uh, there's some great, definitely not you. Gaurav. There's some great Australian investors. Um, or, or, do you, or is it some guy sitting on a on a couch taking taking messages from his mate or something? You know, like so well, many people. Yeah, I mean, so it. I guess who who was selling Whitehaven at the bottom there? Who do you reckon? Do they? You know, I tell you, who wasn't buying it though? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah. yeah, look, returns are possible. There is a method for doing it. Um, I hope uh, next time we have a. A mining stuff up, mining stock up. I, I just encourage you. I mean, I'm not saying buy it. Just, just have a look at it and and consider whether it might fit your style. All right. Well, that's my rant for the day. To be fair, JC and Mickey, you'll both get a rant next time. I think. I think that's that's probably fair. JC, we it's, it's oh, probably, you don't you don't want one of my rants. Uh, I, I was going to say <laughs> they, maybe, can, they can go on a bit. <laughs> maybe we can have like a uh, like a, a shortened the rant. Potted, potted version. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for um, sticking around, guys. Um, we'll do this, try and do this again in a fortnight. And um, for everyone else, if you have um, someone you'd like to hear from, I'm looking for suggestions. So send us a message or an email and um, we'll see what we can do. JC, thanks very much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Mickey, uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Gora. And for everyone else, thank you for listening. <laughs>